Here it is. Again. And it's cold. I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. And Debo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act. They'll just boggle your mind. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. Welcome to the December 1978 edition of a little podcast we like to call Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. We've got kind of a crazy mix of music going on this time around, um, and we're going to be doing it a little bit different. It's it's all good stuff in my mind. Um but, uh, you know, why talk about it? Why don't we just go ahead and get started with uh, a song from one of the bands. This is Annalisa by Public Image Limited. Public Image Limited, of course, is the um, band that Johnny Rotten formed after the Sex Pistols um, broke up. I think we have a lot to say about this album. But before we do that, before we just jump in, a couple of points of business. I want to remind everybody that um, we are going to be talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. Uh, This is an opinion show. We will be giving our opinions, but we always try to be mindful not to get too opinionated, because ultimately we're here to celebrate this extraordinary music that was produced in a pretty unique um, period in history. Speaking of which, Rob, you want to tell us a little bit about what was going on in December of uh, 1978? Sure, the top songs in the U.S. at the time were You Don't Bring Me Flowers by Barbara Streisand and Neil Diamond, La Freak by Chic, notable movies that were out were Superman, Every Witch Way But Loose, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, one of my favorites, and The Great Train Robbery. TV show debuts were... Uh... <laughs> None. <laughs> None. <laughs> no TV shows came out in December Psych. of 1978. <laughs> The best TV shows ever. No, nothing came out on TV. Um, But there were some notable events. Um, Some of the notable events that were taking place, though, were uh, Pioneer Venus 1 began orbiting Venus. John Wayne Gacy arrested for murder. Uh, If you remember, he had people, like, stuck in the walls of his house. And the Runaways had their last ever concert, and people cried. Um, (laughs) But that's it. That's what was going on in December of 1978. Quite often, uh, at the beginning of episodes, we rave about uh, what an extraordinary playlist we have. (laughs) So I think it's only fair that we note it um, when uh, we have a crazy... 
kind of mediocre playlist, that's where I'm at on uh-huh. this. How, how are you feeling about it? Well, crazy is the right thing to say. Um, I learned that as I did more research on some of these bands, the more I respected it and the more I liked them. Um, if you're just listening to the music, though, uh, I could see where some of these albums didn't didn't do too well in the U.S. or you know, um, but it's it's all fascinating stuff to me. So. Yeah, so December uh, 1978, I could actually only identify three punk and new wave albums that were released in that month. But um, this, so this episode is sort of a catch-all. So we're going to talk about some albums that were released in 1978, but we couldn't nail down the month. (laughs) Um, We're also going to talk about a couple of albums that just were last minute additions. So either we were not aware of these bands and these albums at all, and listeners brought them to our attention. Um, and then there's a, at least one where I, I, we um, did a turnabout and decided to start including them. And we'll talk about that when we, uh, when we get to it. If you listen to our last bonus track episode you know what's coming down the pike well two notable things one is for this episode rob and i actually for most of these albums we split it up so i'm going to be talking about albums that rob hasn't listened to and vice versa just because we were spread so thin and the second thing is that we um, we're changing our schedule a tiny bit uh, this month. There will not be a deep dive, uh, so the um, six picks to explore more episode will come in two weeks, um, and then that'll put us into November, which will be all preparation for the best of '78 list. Right, right you are. Whew. Okay, so I think that's all points of business that i have are you ready to jump in or you got something up your sleeve yeah no 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 um i got something up my sleeve but i think i want to hold on to it until a little bit later if that's okay okay so let's um so these first three albums are the three albums that actually were released in december um one of them uh, probably the most notable one is public image limited's debut album called Public Image First Issue. Interesting little um, fact that I uh, came across as I was researching this album, Rob. Um, So the head of Virgin Records, Richard Branscombe, famous fellow, we all know Mm -hmm. him. He, he, um, He wanted Johnny Rotten at the time, to be the lead singer of Devo. <laughs> wow! What? So he he flew them he flew them both out to Jamaica, mm-hmm. and tried to make that work because you know nobody knows punk better than rich white um, businessmen, um, and uh, I think I think we can all agree that. Um, the world's a better place because that didn't happen. So yeah, Devo is a better place that that didn't happen. You know? <laughs> um, I mean, I I like some Johnny Rotten, like the next guy, but that would have been a whole different band. You know, he's always yeah. belligerent. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's just yeah. him. He's belligerent. 
Okay, so let's uh, let's talk about this album. What, yeah. Where, where are you at with this album? Yeah. So let me tell you, uh, I like Public Image Limited. PIL has been one of my favorites for a long time. This is a, to me, it was kind of a rough album. Mm. Um, you know, it, I mean, I like it, but you, you gotta, I don't know. It's hard to take it seriously. I think that he was really out to, to shake up a lot of people and upset a lot of people. It seems like that that was his goal with these songs. The song that we listened to, um, Annalisa felt like them going, "Hey, we need like a the punk equivalent of a pop hit," and that's yeah. what it felt like yeah. they were doing. So, so that song is kind of the most accessible song on no, here. I, I mean, there there is one song where he's just doing a, a John Cooper Clark. There are literally other songs on this album where he made the lyrics up as they were recording, you know? So yeah. the band didn't even know what the hell was going on, <laughs> which in a way is, that's pretty punk rock, man. But, uh, but, but yeah, it doesn't make it all the easier to listen to. <laughs> I, I know that PIL creates some music that I like a lot more than oh, yeah. anything off of this album, but yeah. it's not bad. It's all right. I mean, I, I'm sure there were a lot of, of sex pistol, fans that were pretty happy with this album when it came out because it's still a big old middle finger to you know everyone and everything yeah for sure um anything else about this album for me as far as pil it gets better after this you know just it just gets better so yeah um i typically we at the end of uh of each album we talk about whether or not there's a chance it's going to make it onto the best of 78 list. Um, I think we can kind of forego that <laughs> for this episode because this is a pretty motley lot. Yeah. Um, if there's if there's anything that we get to that you think there's a chance, just kind of pipe up and we'll, we'll talk about it then. You bet. Um, so that is Public Image Limited's debut album called Public Image First Issue. Next album is another debut, the debut of a band called Crass. The album is called The Feeding of the 5,000. Yeah. This is actually considered one of the first punk albums to expound serious anarchic uh, philosophies um, and this is an album that I've listened to uh, quite a few times but you haven't right this this was one that was that yeah. was put on my plate so you're only familiar with the song that we're about to hear That's um, it. why don't why don't we listen to that and then we can uh, we can talk about it okay. uh, it's called um, General Bacardi Say that only fall. Révolutionnement facteur Une saveur naturelle au laquelle Que ta chaîne au séparateur Il va la proie sur la paille Et tout le monde est là-dessus Et tout le monde est là-dessus 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 Man, great song. I love this. <laughs> now this, yeah, yeah, I totally do. I'd never heard of this band before, and this is a, I mean, this is punk rock. You know, as the years go by, we're 
I, I, I start to feel like punk rock is becoming less and less what it started out as. But this mm-hmm. right here kind of refreshes that for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is by far my favorite song off the album. I think that it is um, kind of the catchiest, uh-huh. where when you're talking about, like, hardcore, or hardcore isn't the right word, um, like, serious-minded punk, uh-huh. um, <clears throat> I think catchy is important, you know, otherwise it get, just gets weighed down in itself right. a, a little too much. So I really like this this song. Um, the album is uh, a little rough um, to get through for me. It's 18 songs and the, it's very kind of samey. They're they're very serious people talking about various serious issues, um, which I can appreciate. And, you know, I heard in one of the songs, I've heard something I have never heard before. Really? So (laughs) one of their songs, and it's a song about the cold war and nuclear Holocaust or whatever, halfway through the song, and I'm not talking about between songs. I'm talking about in the middle of the song the music just stops and there is dead silence for 15 seconds and then it slowly picks up again it's part of the narrative of oh there's a nuclear holocaust and everything is dead i mean that's how it feels to me but it's very very rarely do i come across a song where i hear something is like whoa i've never experienced that before i mean it makes it it's you know you lose the momentum of the the song itself and the music but it's still this is that kind of a band but what's what kind of struck me the most is you know after so in november we had albums by the jam and the police Mm -hmm. which are trios the where the music sounds really full and driving this is a band of eight members <laughs> and i'm astonished at how like small and brittle the music sounds now to be fair three of those eight members are were just vocalists oh wow so but still they had five people playing instruments yeah. um on, on this album and it's it's doesn't sound nearly as full as the jam is sounding um, or the police are sounding. Right. Okay, so that is um, Crass's debut album, The Feeding of the 5,000. Throbbing Gristle, last time we heard from Throbbing Gristle, uh, it was the second annual report. And I remember that that was a big pile of discordant noise that... Um, yeah, ca- caused me to throw off my uh, circadian rhythms, and and you know, <laughs> <laughs> my sleep was not re- was not restful. Um, <laughs> so, Throbbing Gristle's current album, well, current, the 1978, the album is DOA, the third and final report of Throbbing Gristle, which kind of implies there's nothing coming after this, but there is, there is. Um, so now these guys are widely regarded as pioneers of industrial music, and I can totally see why. Um, they formed in 1975. Of course, we heard from them once before. Um, this album, 
Well, in general, their music was heavily inspired by mysticism and the occult. And uh, I kind of let it slip by the first time, but this time it has to be mentioned that one of their founding members is Genesis Peorage, who in their own right is, or was, excuse me, a uh, prominent occultist. And uh, and I, being just crazy about anything occulty, um, knew this, and I didn't I didn't say anything. So uh, I had to bring it up this time. Um, and not only is this album heavily inspired by the occult, but I would not be. I I, I wouldn't doubt that some of the songs in this album are hiding some like lyrical sigil magic that uh, Genesis Peorage put out there to, you know, throw some some what they call Gnosis into the world. Okay, so tell me about the song that you picked. Is so, this um, p- fairly indicative of the the whole album, or is it the most accessible or the um, least accessible? Or you know, so what's interesting about this is that I think a lot of these songs are accessible. It, mm-hmm. it blew me away because the last album was just so hard to listen to. Um, we've got songs like, uh, uh, a, uh, oh gosh, uh, Hamburger Lady. Now, some of the songs are disturbing in their content, um, almost like a, a horror movie. Uh, but there's there's stuff, there's one song that's just electronic and it's, it's beautiful to listen to. Um, but uh, the song I chose, Hit by a Rock, actually made me laugh the hardest and that's why I chose it. was a big surprise i mean what we just heard is is fairly challenging you know never gonna never gonna make it on mtv or anything like that but Mm -hmm. um it kind of sounds like a song which is not what i was expecting having experienced um their their uh first album um I mean, this is, you know, there, there is, there is a rhythm, um, to mm-hmm. it. There is, uh, a tempo, there are some, some chords and, uh, something kind of like a melody, but it, it is essentially a song structure, which is, there wasn't anything off of the, um, their first album that that was like that right. um so i was i was very surprised to hear this i mean it is still a little bit too far over the edge for me to like <laughs> like go oh boy i want to listen to a full yeah. album of this yeah. but it it is a song well yeah. what a nice surprise <laughs> it's an album that i'll probably listen to a couple more times you know after the episode yeah, and you know, Throbbing Gristles—they they were absolute pioneers, pioneers. in this kind of music. Yeah. Well, so, they even um, they even coined the phrase industrial music. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so that is um, Throbbing Gristle's album DOA, the third and final report of Throbbing Gristle. Uh, let's move on to a band that I just discovered a couple of months ago. Um, unfortunately, um, they uh, we did not know about them to cover their debut album, which was released in, I believe, 77. But we're going to try and make up for that by talking about... Um, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Grupo Sportivo. So this is a um, a band... I'm not quite... I can't remember exactly how I got turned on to them a couple of months ago. It might have been from a listener, but I don't think so. Um, in, in any case, um, I believe it was the uh, bonus track episode that we did last, the one with... Uh, Mike Rosen. So at the end, we had a little teaser. We played a song from um, an album that we were going to talk about in this episode. And that was a song called um, Disco Really Made It. Mm -hmm. um, off of this album, a song that I absolutely love. I love, knew you would, yeah. love, love that song. It's, got, it's, just, it's got you all over it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, um, if you if you caught that episode, you know what I'm talking about. Now we're gonna throw this at the end of the playlist on Spotify if you want to go check it out because it is by far my the uh, my favorite um, song off of this album. So this is a Dutch band, uh, quite often referred to as a new wave parody band and i guess wow. that's fair i mean well they're certainly dutch can't dispute that and there yeah. <laughs> there are some um some new wave elements now that my two favorite songs off this album are the two songs that really sound the most new wave um but when Somebody says parody. I think like weird Al Yankovic type thing, and they're yeah. not that. You know, they're not silly. But what they're doing is they're doing a lot of different styles of music in a in a lighthearted way. And I think it's kind. Of, they're they're notable because there are going to be a lot of bands like this down the road. But this might be one of the first in this vein. So when I think of bands like um, They Might Be Giants or mm -hmm. Magnetic Fields or those those quirky kind of loose bands, um, uh, Bare Naked Ladies, you know, like like their earlier stuff, right, um, yeah. where where they're just kind of playing around. Oh, let's do this type of song and let's do that type of song and have some fun with it. But it's not. So the uh, the two songs that we'll have heard by the end of this episode um, are the new waviest and the most produced. So a lot of them, a lot of the songs are a lot more kind of sparse and just people kind of goofing off in the studio. Um, but I, I kind of like them. I'm eager to listen to more 
of their releases when they come out. Uh, my second favorite song off of this album is a song called Sleeping Bag. So let's play it, and then I'm really eager to hear what you have to say about, well, <laughs> both this this song and um, Disco Really Made It, because we, we haven't discussed it yet. So. Yeah, that's for sure. It's got to be summer, sometime. Just just listening to these two songs, it it makes me want to listen to the rest of them because I mean, what else can they do? You know, uh, the disco song was really a, a great disco song, and uh, the new wave song I think was a great new wave song. So that is um, an album called um, Back to Seventy Eight, the second release by a band called Rob. Throwing it to you, Grupo Sportivo. Grupo Sportivo. Okay, I'll get it one of these days. Yeah, I'll that's get right. it. Okay, let's move on to the dictators. So, here's one where I just completely goofed because you remember our very first episode. You remember that? You I know, do. a thousand years ago. Yeah, I was there. Uh, it, yeah, and we were <laughs> we were talking about early in influencers, sort of like proto-punk bands and we talked about dictators and somehow i had it in my brain that by 1976 they had broken up and Uh that's completely untrue so we actually missed one of their albums that was released in either 76 or 77. Yeah. Um, but we do get to talk about um, the album released in 78 called Blood Brothers. Yeah. This was one that you spent some time with. This this was one of my choices, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, they the band has been around since 1972, and this is uh, Blood Brothers. This is their third album. Um, they, uh, you know, I... I don't recall what we talked about when we talked about them before, other than that they were one of the kind of most influential, considered one of the most influential proto-punk bands. Um, and uh, but but listening to this album, it's it's interesting to me. Now, one of the things I do remember now that I think of it is that a member of their band, Ross the Boss Friedman, went on to form a band that I used to listen to in the 80s and 90s called Manowar, which was like mm-hmm. this me- epic metal band, you know, very very theatrical and ridiculous. But uh, I was pretty much into them at the time. Um, and I still find that a little bit, a little bit interesting. It's not as, 
as surprising when you listen to this album because it's got kind of a harder edge to it. It's got kind of a more of a, a rock feel to it. So, um, but yeah, the, uh, this is the band's third album. Um, the, the, this album definitely has a metal sound to it. In fact, uh, um, the song, oh, oh, that's right. The song Faster and Louder, which is my choice. Of, of songs on this album um definitely a rock song but it's also said to feature an uncredited bruce springsteen uh, oh yeah. i knew it i totally yeah. guessed that uh, did you no oh god no that was that, Come on, that you would can hear probably it. be the last musician i mean probably i would pick him over share for yeah, instance there you go but... yeah 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 well um, and I, I'm not crazy about this album. I feel like this album is, it's okay. You know, it's, it's not bad. Um, but to me, it, it feels kind of like all the songs are a bit the same, you know, and it, um, there's nothing that really jumps out to me. Um, the, the only thing that really jumped out to me was, like I said, during the research in some of these bands, I gained a little respect, uh, of the band and, and come to like them that way. So the, the thing that stuck out was the fact that Bruce Springsteen is featured on this track faster and louder. I'm not really hearing metal on this song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that, are are there other songs that are, okay. Yeah, it's more throughout. It's more throughout. Um, In fact, uh, Minnesota Strip has a little bit of metal in it. I'm not crazy about that song just because of some of the content, but uh, it it has like a heavy, you know, a heavy intro. and, um, And this too, if you think about metal in the, I don't know, early days of metal, you know, this is kind of, they're just, mm-hmm. they're just kind mm-hmm. of like bringing it up. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, you could, you could see this band kind of evolving into a metal band. Well, I really like this song. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, uh, in the introduction episode, when we talked about them, we played the song called master rock, uh, master race rock. Right. And, um, I think what I like about the dictators the most is their lyrics. I think yeah. they they really have a sharp balance between humor and being about something and making a point, maybe very mm-hmm. sardonically, but you know, it's not just you know, it's not just like we're young and fucked up um yeah. and that's enough they're actually talking about stuff they, and this is a pretty pretty sharp and funny takedown of like male toxic masculinity yeah. and competitiveness yeah. i mean i love i i love 
it that uh, that he talks about how all of these things that he does faster and louder including he screws faster, faster and, louder, and louder yeah <laughs> and and he mows the lawn faster and louder yep, yep. <laughs> and he's a man faster and louder yeah. that's i think yeah. the next lyric yeah. um yeah to- totally and and the whole album is kind of like that in a way um the songs are different it's the sound that kind of remains the same to me in uh-huh. in minnesota strip they talk about basically cruising the strip you know like like young studs do you know what i mean um it's it's that cruising for chicks and, yeah and that yeah. kind of thing um but but yeah it's uh i mean handsome dick is the vocalist okay and uh he he's probably the weakest part of the not that he's bad but he's he's literally the weakest part of the whole band you know he's not he's not a great vocalist he doesn't sing he kind of he kind of pushes those lyrics out there and that's a style oh. choice and that's pretty cool yeah but, well, how uh, how punk rock of him, right? Yeah, right, right. It's it's a style choice, and that's great. I like this song more than I thought I was going oh, to. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So that is uh, the Dictator's third LP, um, an album called Blood Brothers. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to Kraftwerk. So we. We're doing an about face here on Craftwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have not. Well, we talked about them in the introduction episode, um, but I wasn't including them in our rundowns because I didn't think that they produced English language stuff. But around this period, they switched to English. Um, and so <clears throat> I was in error. And um, so f- moving forward, we will cover Kraftwerk albums as they're released. From the very beginning, we, we've all, always intended on, on doing a bonus episode about Kraftwerk and how influential they, they are, uh, which we will do at some point. We're just looking for the right person to, to be our guest and our guide. Um, since neither of us really uh, know that much about Kraftwerk. So in um, May of 1978, um, they released uh, an album called The Man Machine. So Rob, it just didn't even occur to me Uh that there would be a song off this album that I I was familiar with, Uh but... um, I am indeed familiar with the song "The Model." Yeah, me too. Um, it 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 is the number one Kraftwerk song on Spotify. Pretty famous song. Um, so I knew more of Kraftwerk than I thought that I did. You know, you know I I, um, I know that we try to stay away from the, you know, the the big, famous single or the you know. Um, but honestly, this is the song that really grabbed me the most, I think, on the album. And it might be because I've heard it before. Yeah, I, I am the same way. How, how, are you, how are you feeling about this, this album? Is, is this the first, like, full Kraftwerk album you've listened yeah, to? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah me too. And um, how, are, how are you feeling about I, it? I like it. Um, you know, there's some songs where I could hear inspiration... Um, 
that other bands that came later have taken from Kraftwerk. You know, I, 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 I have other bands in mind where I'm like, I bet they got that found from Kraftwerk. I bet they borrowed that from Kraftwerk. Um, I, yeah. And I, I've heard how influential Kraftwerk is to the industry as a whole, you yep. know. Yep. So this is the yep. first album I've listened to, and I'm kind of glad that I did it. I, I find this album kind of boring. It's kind of so simple um, that I just want to, you know, if, if I have to pick between listening to this album or listening to an OMD album, uh, an early OMD, you know, who were directly heavily influenced by Kraftwerk, I would pick OMD because it's just a little bit, to me, it sounds just a little bit more evolved, a little bit more complex, a little bit more interesting. Kraftwerk is doing it here first. I really appreciate that. Um, but this is this is not an album that I can really get into. Oh. Now, I, I kind of like um, the model. <laughs> so why don't we listen to sure. that? She's a model and she's looking good. Actually, and I, I really did enjoy this album. It, it's funny because I'm looking at this album or listening to this album, and I'm thinking, "Oh wow, what are they going to do in the future?" But the truth is, this is their seventh studio album, <laughs> so yeah. they've done quite a yeah. bit. But, but I, I found it kind of fun. I found it, especially when I was listening to it. I had just listened to the Dickies. I had just listened to the Dictators. I had just listened to, you know, all these albums. Uh, some of which were just kind of hard and, and like PIL. Um, and so listening to Kraftwerk was kind of like a salve on my eardrums after, you know, hearing this, like, this this kind of, uh, you know, ruckus, this anxious punk rock. So, um, but I really enjoyed it. When I was listening to it, uh, what kept, what came to my mind the most was Depeche Mode's first album, Speaking oh, yeah. Spell. Yeah. Um, and you know, of the of the seventies and through the mid eighties albums of Depeche Mode, that's kind of my like my least favorite. So gotcha. this is just a a type of synthesizer music that just. Um, doesn't resonate for me. Mm -hmm. I, I have no criticism about how it's performed and how they do it. And kudos to them for getting there first. It's just, you know, it's not really my cup of tea. Not your thing, yeah. <clears throat> but but I am very curious because they they are obviously a an, an extremely in, innovative band. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see how they continue to evolve i'm dying to get schooled by 
somebody who really knows this band inside and out and can kind of walk me through um you know the the little nooks and crannies of what makes this band so special but quite often it it's listening to this it 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 to me it doesn't quite get it it doesn't quite evolve past like hey ma look what i can do on a synthesizer that's what a lot of it kind of feels like to me you know this being 2021 so (laughs) i have a i have many many decades of of future knowledge of how music evolves um so i i don't want anyone to think that i am um i am downplaying their importance um it's just not something i can get excited about gotcha so that is Craftworks um, album, The Man Machine. And I, I think there is a, just depending on, you know, um, how large the Craftwork faction uh, is is out there in our, our listenership, um, there is a chance that this could make it on the top 10 of 78. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think that everybody anybody who is not familiar with craft work um should go give it a listen you know just just so you know uh, you you may like it you may not you may be kind of indifferent but it is it's something that you want in your repertoire for sure yeah Cool. Let's move on to the Dickies debut album, The Incredible Shrinking Dickies. So um, this is a band that made the very bottom of my top 10 favorite punk bands list. Um, I think it was either number nine or number 10. Um I have a special love for the Dickies. I will take them over the Ramones any day of the week. Um, they're kind of they're kind of doing the same thing, but in a very different way. Yeah, and sure. um, it could be just like an East Coast West Coast thing. But me being a West Coast boy, this is this is that kind of a approach um, that is that works for me. Yeah, um, their energy is great. Their sound is great. Um, I've always liked them too. Of course, I, I was a big fan of uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Um, but I don't know. They've always been a band that that me and and I have a, f- a friend from high school who we used to listen to them quite a bit. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, how do you feel about this album? This album's amazing. Um, yeah, there's. I mean, there's so much on it that's that's great. You know what? Even even the cover song on the album is amazing. Um, uh, Ozzy Osbourne's, or excuse me, Black Sabbath's Paranoid is uh, the third track on the album. Yeah. I chose a song that I think in my mind, I think it's a little rowdier actually, a tune called mm-hmm. Mental Ward. Yeah, so before we listen to it, I got, I have mixed feelings about your pick for this. Uh-huh. So I, and it's not because I don't love the song, because I, I do love this song. Um, but when I saw you picked it, I almost felt like I needed to pick a song off this album as well to kind of uh, counterbalance it. And I'll tell you 
why in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I realized, oh, if I did that, because we have so many albums to cover, if we did that, then we would have to bump um, an X-Ray Spec song from the the mini dive. And this is going to be our last chance to talk about X-Ray Specs. So um, I am kind of biting the bullet and we'll just... um, uh, suffice with a, a little bit of a caveat. Okay. Um, so this song is in some ways anomalous from the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds to me, and I can't say for sure, but it sounds to me like there's two vocalists in this song. So the, the first, the, the, what, what I'm calling the verse. So the first vocals you hear are not typical of the Dickies um, and done in a very different style than most of the Dickie songs. So it's much more sort of like hardcore punk. There's there's actually even some profanities in there, which I, I can't say for certain, but I, I don't know that the Dickies ever really used profanity in any of their other music. Um, but then when it gets to the chorus, then it's sounding like a, a fairly standard Dickie song. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that the two play off each other very well. But if anyone who hears this song, and this is their first time listening, hearing a Dickie song, except for maybe Killer Clowns from Outer Space, um, and you're like, oh, I really like the song, but I really like the first part and more so than the second part uh i want to warn you that you'll probably be disappointed when you listen to the the entire album but if you're kind of flipped and you kind of like what's going on in the chorus more then this whole album is for you um so this is a uh a fairly atypical dickies album excuse me, song. And of course it is their first album. So they were, you know, trying out things, yeah. but I, I can't think of another Dickie song that, that is as intense as this is in its vocal delivery and in the lyrics. They're, they're a lo- typically a lot sort of goofier and lighter. chose this song <laughs> yeah this is like i said it was a rowdy it was a rowdy song mm-hmm. um and i again it might have had to do with the music i listened to before i hit the dickies album you know where i was just kind of in a yeah. mood um but uh you know i i have to say i i think you're right don't listen to this song first listen to their entire album <laughs> but it's it's a great i think it's a great album i really love it so that is the Dickies' debut album, uh, an album called The Incredible Shrinking Dickies. I would love to see this on the top ten, but I don't think there's a chance. Really? Hmm. No, I, I don't think so, because they're, they're just 
too obscure and they're not going to make my top 10 list i think okay. they're going to fall just a little bit short this is um the thickies are remarkably consistent in their albums but this is not my very favorite dickies album so um but hooray for the dickies they're yeah. they're just the world's a better place because their albums exist so Okay, let's move on to a very weird album. Um, <laughs> this is a an album that uh, I listened to, but you didn't. Um, right. uh, by a band called Flash and the Pan, um, the debut album, uh, eponymously titled debut album. Um, they are an Australian band. Uh, pretty big in Australia, also big in Sweden. Um, and I understand, so I, I had never heard this band. I'd never heard okay. this album or anything. And I'm not quite sure how they got on our list. Um, I think I they were suggested. Yeah. I think they were suggested by one of our uh, listeners. Okay. All right. Um, and when you when you look them up, they they are primarily classified as a new wave band. And when I listen to it, I I understand why that is. You know, I don't find that classification objectionable, but it is. It's, you know, it's kind of just as much like pop or disco or rock than it uh -huh. is new wave yeah um yeah. so to give everybody an idea it's like i'm gonna list uh um several bands that came to mind as i was listening to this album um all of these bands you know at one point or another kind of dabbled a little bit in new wave pop and so they this album reminds me of those bands when they were at their kind of new waviest. So I heard um, a lot of uh, Bob Geldof's um, solo stuff. Uh -huh. um, Jay Giles band, you know, when they were doing um, Freeze Frame and yeah. Centerfold. Um, Hall and Oates, you know, Circa Maneater. Toto, you know, Africa and, and around that area. Um, dire Straits, the Brothers in Arm um, album. Uh, but uh, very much so like ELO and Alan Parsons project. And uh, those last two are significant because Flash in the Pan is, is kind of parallel to those two bands in the sense that it's basically two guys who just go into the studio and build songs, right? Oh, um, yeah, and so it's got that kind of a feel, like very much a, a constructed, constructed music, you know, many, many overdubs. Uh, so it doesn't have a lot of like real funk groove that is you kind of need to have like a live band playing off each other to mm -hmm. get so um, so i have a question then are yeah. they are they were they a strictly studio band or did they did they even do any of the tours did they take a band with oh them? no no they they played live but okay, it was cool. you know um 
it was basically two guys going into the studio to to mm-hmm. build the songs. Yeah. Um, and the uh, there there are a lot there are too many songs on this album, um, and th- unfortunately the lead vocalist, uh, which you're going to hear in the song that we feature tonight, um, one of their bigger hits called Hey St. Peter. Um, You're going to hear him in the verse, and this style of delivery is the same every song. Um, In this song, there are more like backup vocalists doing some actual singing, but the lead (laughs) vocalist doesn't have much range. He just kind of has one style and he just the sort of like sing talky. I, I like the lyrics. I like the stories that he's telling. Um, so uh, let's listen to a bit of Hey St. Peter and then I like to hear what uh, you think about it, Rob. Sure thing, yeah. The morning was cold and lonely. City lights old and gray. Tried to smile, gave it all away. The honky tonk called the stranger. The stranger couldn't pay the bill. Made a stand, raised his hand, sang a song. all kinds of memories and I don't think it's memories of this band or this song <laughs> but um, you mentioned a lot of bands that kind of use a similar style uh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of bands that are even kind of more recent like in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s that use that same kind of delivery um, I don't think I would like it if the entire album were delivered that way you know oh i you know what i've got i've got bad news for you this is one of the most dynamic songs on it so so a lot of the songs are a lot flatter and not very interesting i mean i i gotta walk back a little bit because i actually enjoy this album i think it's kind of fun and you know who i think might really like it is Mm -hmm. our our buddy Mike Rosen. It just no, feels yeah. like a Mike Rosen song or album to me, you know that that quirky sort of thing. Well, but if 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 you really like like Jay Giles, Toto, mm-hmm. Dire Straits, ELO, that stuff, this is kind of right up your alley. Well, but I am I am a fan of uh, Jay Giles and uh, Dire Straits, and these guys uh, flash in the pan with this song. They definitely can tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe I will like the album. Yeah, yeah. So that is Flash in the Pan's debut album, uh, titled simply Flash in the Pan. Okay, let's move on to your boy. Let's talk about your boy. So yeah, this is John Cooper Clark. Um, his this is interesting because I, I learned a lot about John Cooper Clark. Now we talked about him a little bit when we did our. Uh, 
Manchester scene with Richard Temple. And uh, we talked about him when we covered his first album, Où est la maison de fromage, which is where is the cheese house in English. Um, <laughs> so, um, interesting thing about John Cooper Clark is that he considers this to be his debut album. Um, apparently the the first album he doesn't acknowledge it at all because it was basically a bootleg which i found interesting um the the uh label that he was signed to they actually recorded a live performance and made the record without his knowledge or without his consent and it really pissed him off because you know he wasn't on top form that he he felt, and he, it was—it wasn't his idea. Tell me about this album, the content of this album, because okay. I haven't listened to it. I'm—I'm yeah. I'm assuming that it is um, significantly more listenable it is, than yes. his debut album. Um, the song we're about to hear, um, called "I Don't Want to Be Nice," is this fairly typical of the mm. full full album, or is so it? Yeah. I don't I don't want to be nice to me feels like this side of a transition from his last album to this album. Okay. Um mm-hmm. it is more listenable. The, the there is a song called Post War Glamour Girl that is kind of a cross between disco and early rap. I think you may dig it. Um uh-huh. you know, and it is he's got like Teenage Werewolf, which is not punk at all. It's uh you know, it's I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a really good album. I think um, he had his own band, the Invisible Girls. And uh, funny is, is that the band was produced by or the the album was produced by Martin Hartnett, and he worked with Joy Division, the Derudy Column Magazine, Happy Mondays, and OMD. Um, the band has members in it like uh, Pete Shelley on guitar. Um, and then Hammett, of course, was on bass, and Carl Burns uh, from The Fall was on drums. So mm-hmm. he, he, you know, it was a, it was a pretty good band that he had playing with him. On on this album. On this album, yeah, yeah. And and so it sounds to me like you're saying that um, there there is there are some tracks off of this album that are. That are significantly more accessible than um well let's listen to it right now. Let's let's sure. listen to I Don't Wanna Be Nice. The fat fingers, the expertise and the same old how do you do Disgust is just is dumb disguise. It wants a word with you. His problems are the end. His mouth needs exercise. The last thing I need. Like I said, it to me, it's it's a bit of a transition from the last album to the current album, um, you know, in, in, in its delivery. Um, the album goes on and is, again, I, I use the word palatable because it, it is. 
Um, mm-hmm. The last the last album we heard was was horrible. Now, as I mentioned, uh, John Cooper Clark didn't like that album, and he literally asks his fans that if they have it to throw it away, or tells people not to buy it that it's a piece of shite. So okay, so that is John Cooper Clark's second album, um, I, an, uh, an album called Disguise in Love. Radio Birdman and a band I hadn't heard of um, until just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, (laughs) I mentioned to you, Rob, on the uh, last bonus track episode that we got a very nice review from us on on Apple Podcasts Uh um, from somebody in Australia, and they recommend that we check out Radio Birdman. Never heard of them. Um, So we are going to talk about... Uh, their debut album, an album called Radio Radios Appear. Um, now, this was released in Australia in 1977, but internationally in 1978. So we are in the clear about talking of, talking about it now. Yeah. Um, this album was voted um, by a newspaper, Australian newspaper um, called The Age, voted as the third greatest Australian album of all time and apparently is very influential. Um, I uh, kind of like it. Um, it's not... <laughs> Not really my thing. Um, I think probably Rob, you would enjoy it more than I. It's it's very sounds very kind of like pub rocky uh-huh. to me. Um, now this album is not available on Spotify, but they do have a compilation album that contains every single song off of this album except for the song that I like the most. <laughs> A song called Hit Them Again. Um, So unfortunately, you will have to go to some other source. I found it on YouTube to to check it out. I really like this song. This is this is by far my favorite song off of the album. And um, the rest of the album, I think, is pretty good, but just doesn't really, just not the kind of music that I, I tend uh-huh. to, to gravitate towards. Gotcha. Um, so I'm I'm really eager to to see what you have to say about about the full album. Yeah, um, I'll give it a listen. Yeah, so. Uh, I wish that I had more to say about this album other than um, that it's uh, pretty good Australian pub rock um, and uh, very influential in um, uh, Australia as far as um, punk and new wave bands to come. 
So that is Radio Birdman's debut album called Radios Appear. And thank you so much for bringing them to our attention. Yeah. They yeah, they so. definitely deserve a spot. Um, speaking of bands that I'd never heard of that was brought to our attention by uh, a listener, uh, let's talk about Tough Darts. Now, this is an album that you um, spent some time with, but I actually have listened to it, um, oh, when yeah. it was first recommended to us, um, via Facebook, I believe, um, mm-hmm. I went and checked it out and, um, thought that it was kind of probably more up your alley than mine. Yeah, so I tell see. me, tell me what you thought about the Tough Darts debut album, um, titled simply Tough Darts. Um, well, <laughs> not, I gotta say I'm not a huge fan, to be honest. Um, uh-huh. I did find that, uh, the vocalist, uh, uh, vocalist Tommy Frenzy was, was kind of interesting. Um, but these guys, to me, they're just kind of showy and they have an angle is what it feels like to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So, so when I, when I feel like, you know, when I feel that I, I kind of, am repelled by it a little bit you know mm-hmm. they, they felt like they were a bit of a novelty band um you know and I, I might be a little harsh on that but it just that's kind of the vibe i got yeah well i um like i said i've i've listened to actually this afternoon i went back and kind of skimmed through the album again um just to refresh my memory and um i I can see why they are considered punk, Mm -hmm. but to me, honestly, I hear a lot more like cheap trick Mm. um, and music sort of in that vein than straight ahead punk. Um, So maybe maybe it's like, what if cheap trick wanted to be the misfits? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I I mean, did did you hear much like full tilt punk in there? I not, I, I not heard really. some yeah, not, some not pub really. rock, and I heard some you know like cheap trick sort of like power poppy yeah. rocky stuff. Well, they've got um, like a punchy sound that's kind of like pub rockish that you said. Um, yeah, you know. Now these these guys dressed up in suits and ties when they were you know performing and and on their covers and stuff. Um, so they. Again, with that angle, they looked clean cut, but then they're yelling and they're playing kind of a, you know, a hard guitar. So, so what is your favorite song off of this album? Um, you know, my favorite song off of this album is a song called "My Guitar Lies Bleeding in My Arms." Strings are like razors; they cut into my hands, and my volume is dangerously low. that this band is one of those bands that um, was together for a while and played a lot and then didn't cut an album until they got rid of their vocalist and got a new guy. Um, <laughs> oh, but, oh, well, that's interesting because, yeah. you know, a, a vocalist can totally change the, yeah. the, the, 
the the tone the mood of a band so maybe you know um maybe they were more punk when they were you right. know coming up yeah. through the ranks could very well you, be I, w- I do know that robert Criscow liked uh the lead singer the original robert gordon more than he liked tommy frenzy so ah, uh-huh yeah. and and where where were they located East Coast, West Coast. Well, I don't know exactly. They're they're East Coast for sure. Um, mm-hmm. This is one of the very first bands to gather a crowd at CBGBs. Um, oh, yeah. Well, that and, is interesting. Yeah. Okay. And they played it. They played at Maxis, Kansas City, and and stuff like that. So they played all the all the clubs on the East Coast and mm-hmm. uh, and made a name for them. Um, ooh, yeah. I I should say also it's notable that this album features Ian Hunter from Montehoople and Ian Hunter because he is a big name on keyboards. Okay, so um, that covers all of the uh, individual albums we wanted to to talk about. Um, so real quick, quickly, just in, in uh, a brief summary, uh, we talked about Public Image Limited's first album called Public Image First Issue, Crass's debut album, The Feeding of the 5000, Throbbing Gristle's album called DOA, The Third and Final Report of Throbbing Gristle, Greppo Sportivo's album uh, Back to 78. The Dictator's third album, Blood Brothers. The Kraftwerk album, The Man Machine. The Dickies' debut album, The Incredible Shrinking Dickies. Flash in the Pans, eponymously titled Flash in the Pan. John Cooper Clark's second album, Disguise in Love. Radio Birdman's debut album, Radios Appear. And Tough Darts debut album called Tough Darts. Yeah, let's go on to X-Ray Specs. Okay, X-Ray Specs. We have um, talked about them in the last couple of episodes. Um, Germ-Free Adolescence was one of the many truly great albums released in November of 1978. So we have already heard... uh, couple of songs off of this album we heard a warrior in Woolworths Mm -hmm. and the day the world turned day glow and way back in our favorite punk episode from season one um we heard oh bondage up yours because the um x-ray specs uh made it your onto your top 10 list yeah absolutely i love this band I, uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I had a years-long crush on polystyrene, and it's quite has, hasn't quite gone away. <laughs> yeah. So they only released um, two albums. They released Germ-Free Adolescence in 1978, and then in 1995 they released um, Conscious Consumer. Mm-hmm. The makeup of the bands for the two albums were significantly different, um, so we're we're going to talk about the band members for each. So, starting with Germ-Free Adolescence, um, Polly Styrene was on vocals, Jack Airport was on guitar, 
Paul Dean on bass, Rudy Thompson on saxophone, and BP Herding on drums. So we, in the past, we have talked about the saxophones in O Bondage Up yeah. Yours and um, how sort of out of tune they were, but it worked for that song. And when I went and listened to um, Germ-Free Adolescence for the first time, I was relieved to hear that most of the, if not all of the saxophone on the album were in tune. So mm -hmm. I thought, at first I thought, oh yeah, so that was just a choice on that one song to play it out of tune. That was before I realized they were two different saxophone players. So um, the original saxophonist um, was a musician named Laura Logic, um, who performed on um, Oh Bondage Up Yours, but she left the band before they recorded their, their first oh, wow. album. Okay. So we get to listen to a couple more songs off of this um, truly awesome album, Germ-Free Adolescent. Uh, what is your pick for tonight? Uh, my pick is probably my favorite song on the, on the entire album, and it's a tune called Identity. I love this song. I love just about every song on this album. This yeah. is definitely one of those close your eyes and picks. Um, so because of that, um, since every song to me is like a seven, seven, eight, nine, or 10, um, my decision-making was kind of based more on what you picked. Uh, because <laughs> what, what I... What I really appreciate this about this album is how well-rounded it is. Such a surprise. Yeah. Um, that it's got a lot of... I mean, it's not like, oh, here's a country song and here's a disco song. There's nothing like that. But as far as the moods and the tones and the subject matter, it is not, like, monochromatic. Um, and so... I thought to kind of represent that because that is a large part of why I love this album so much. Um, I wanted to feature the title track, um, song called Germ-Free Adolescence. picked at um 
it's I mean it's like you said everything on here is like a seven or better uh, and there are like 12 tracks on this album and I don't know I, I think there were like six or seven singles so it's you almost yeah. you can't miss yeah you know? yeah well um you know my my two picks so far of this album have been kind of two of the mellower songs i don't want that to be mis um uh, misinterpreted as me not liking their faster harder stuff because I, because i really do but i am so impressed that they can do a song like germ free yeah. adolescence just as well um that is that is still very surprising to me so so i um yeah this is a this is a great album fortunately we're kind of running out of time so we got to kind of power through this i think um so let's so after they release this album they break up um, they get back together and release a second album in 1995. Um, the original saxophonist, Laura Logic, is back for this album. And I'm happy to say that um, playing saxophone in tune, I didn't really notice any real intonation problems, at least nothing that bothered me. Um, the lineup for this album was polystyrene on vocals, Red Spectre on guitar, Laura Logic on saxophone, Paul Dean on bass, Polly O. Hyatt Hurt Hurt something like that <laughs> on drums, and Peter Paul Hartnett on backing vocals and photography. Um, I find this album very unremarkable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To to be fair, I've only listened to it twice, and if there is anybody out there who loves this album and feels like it's one of those things that you have to live with for a while, let me know. Um, I would like to know that, and maybe I will make the effort um, to go back and you know give it a couple more tries. But there's so much great music out there that that I you know unless. Unless I can come up with a really compelling reason, I, I don't know that this is an album that I want to spend much more of my time with. It's not bad. It's it's fine, um, uh, but very very tempered, um, mm -hmm. and uh, not a lot of spark. Uh, not a you lot know? of punk in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty indicative too of of Polystyrene's uh, solo stuff, and mm -hmm. she performed up until about the time she died. Um, mm -hmm. But she she got more mod and more uh, sentimental, I think. Yeah, yeah, not a not a lot of belly fire here. Right. But like the first two songs are songs about the evils of smoking and the evils of eating junk food so she's <laughs> definitely got some stuff on her mind she's yeah. she's socially conscious still and and um talking about worthy stuff um in fact junk food junkie is the song that you picked on yeah. this album
make it clear, this is not a bad or incompetent album. Um, it's not 90s new age at all, but it's got that sort of like bubbling under the surface. There's that feel to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's worth checking out if you're a, if you if you love X-ray specs and you want to be completist. Um, and I, yeah. and I hope I hope too that you would go and listen to Polystyrene's uh, solo stuff. Um, again, it's sentimental and kind of poppy and mod less punk, but uh, mm-hmm. I think the I think the feeling there I think there is a feeling there. I think there's you know that sentimentality is is something, and and I don't know. So in two weeks we will be doing our six picks to explore more episode yeah we don't know what those albums are going to be they're going to be six of the albums we've discussed this season for sure Mm -hmm. um and i think as soon as we stop recording this episode rob and i will determine what those (laughs) um, albums are (laughs) so i look forward to yeah so look forward to that that'll be a lot of fun um and then that'll put us into november in november we're just going to be talking the whole whole uh, month we're just going to be talking about building our best of 78 list so we are uh, at the home stretch that's right wow almost another season down so thanks everybody for sticking to the very end of this um, uh, kind of odd and screwy but worthwhile um, batch of uh, albums. Yeah. And uh, we will talk to you in two weeks. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>